It's also it's a great film, so it's easy. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> What's your role again? I'm the, I'm the defense. No, I'm the defense. I'm the defense. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. I'm Ozzy. Unfortunately, we don't have Joel with us today because he is taking part in a Harry Potter quiz. (laughs) No shit. However, we have recruited in a very apt replacement in Mike. Hello, Mike. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Uh, Just to let you know, Mike, that um, you are filling the void that Joel is leaving. And we've come to know Joel as sort of a monotonous, unenthusiastic (laughs) character. So if you get too excited at some point, I will be sounding an alarm, okay? That sounds a little bit like this. Okay. I couldn't possibly see me getting excited about something. So. <laughs> too much, too much. <laughs> okay, so uh, hello everyone and welcome to our continuation of Halloween Horror Month. <laughs> what, it's a crow? <laughs> That's scary. Um, so if you've never heard this show before, basically we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that, but there's also a whole host of other spooky shenanigans, including a caption contest, a quiz, some terrible impressions, ghostly sound effects, and a lot of banter. And just like Pet Cemetery, sometimes dead is better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is yeah. which is true because I had plans for Prometheus three as supposedly dead, <laughs> and I think we're all better off because of that. To be fair, <laughs> so as I said before, this is a continuation of our Halloween Horror Month, in which all of the gang have picked one of their favourite and most underrated horror films and put them on trial. This week it is my turn, and I have picked Pet Cemetery. Um, hang on. Uh, that's, that's a yeah, you like that yeah it's gonna it's it's gonna keep on going on <laughs> that's the only problem it's just gonna keep on going on in the background um so just to <laughs> all right calm down calm down just to give you an idea as to why i picked this film uh <laughs> it's still going on <laughs> uh so yeah I, it was a film that i really enjoyed when i was a kid um of course, of course you watched it when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was a child. <laughs> I watched horror films at a very young age, which is why I'm emotionally dead inside. I get it. Uh, but I also, as I said before, wanted to pick this film because we haven't actually picked a film that's been directed by a woman yet. So I thought oh, that this would be a good first for us. I also thought that um, women don't really get a lot of chances to direct horror films. So I wanted to pick a horror film that's directed by a woman. And uh, also, I think it's a very sort of hit and miss film. You either love it or you hate it. And I really thought it'd be a good one to bring to the table. So there we go. That's 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 why. Um, but before we go on to the bulk of the show, our last film that we put on trial was Final Destination. Dave, you were the judge and you decided that it should be placed on the hit list. Mm-hmm. You've since gone away and you've watched the film. Did you make the right call? Yes. Yes, I think I did. Uh, I, I really wanted to watch it again after hearing Alex's arguments and Alex reminded me of it. So I thought that, that kind of gave me an inclination of which list it should go on. But yeah, I watched it again and yeah, j- everything Joel said was right. Yeah. You know, it is flawed, heavily flawed, but the concept is brilliant. And you know what? A lot of the execution was very good. It, it, it's good enough, the execution. It's good and enough. the concept's brilliant. So. Are you talking yeah. about the execution of the film or the executions in the film? <laughs> <laughs> Can't it be both? Yeah. <laughs> so I actually went away and watched all of the Final Destination films 
films and I definitely believe that you made the right call to be honest Steve <laughs> honestly I don't know what it was but it's just like Pringles for the brain like once one person has popped then I just couldn't <laughs> stop to be honest um, it, it was like a car crash that I couldn't look away from both metaphorically and literally so, so is it a steady decline or is it sharp uh, no no it's just like one really long film like, I couldn't tell you right now where one ended and five finished <laughs> like <it's, laughs> As in, it was just you know more elaborate deaths each time, but I couldn't I couldn't actually tell you now which one was from which. Like, oh, some guy gets his head crushed by a weight. Was that in three? Or was that in four? Somebody gets burnt on a sunbed. I think that's three. They're both three. All oh, right, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> what's, yeah, don't do that with Dave. Right? What What's the most memorable death? Would you say in the whole franchise? I actually really liked the very beginning, the opening accident scene in Final Destination Five. I think there was a lot of kind of elaborate deaths in that. There was a bit where David Kretschner um, is like kind of hanging off the end of a road and this hot tar just spills all over him and it's essentially his body just melts away, but there's still bits of him left on the road. Very, very disgusting to be honest, but brilliant in the same (laughs) same way. Anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, I'm going to move on to be honest. So what we do is we all go around in a circle and we talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week. So first off, hang on guys, tell me what this is. No idea. <laughs> I have no, no idea. I feel like you promised it well. Like. Come on, Dave. It sounded good, but I don't know what it is. It's West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Right. Okay, so usually we go around and we talk about news. However, I think instead of the news this time around, we're going to give a little bit of a hashtag no spoilers review of Halloween 2018. So myself, Captain Dave and Brucey went to go and watch it on Saturday. So guys, let me know your thoughts. Alex? Uh, I thought it was all right, to be honest. I I didn't think it was amazing. Um, Sort of all right. Glad I went to see it at the cinema kind of I didn't really think about it afterwards but it was enjoyable to watch at the time so I normally I kind of have I kind of go either way on films I kind of love them or hate them but on Halloween it was like yeah that was all right it could have been a bit better but it could have been a hell of a lot worse so yeah sorry it's not the most best review ever just like meh yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't the most best sentence good one mate good one good one that's why you're here <laughs> okay uh, Dave uh, agree disagree um, no it, I agree completely it was okay it was it was alright I'd say it's edging towards good but not quite there I was surprised at the retcon I didn't yeah. realize that, you know, this basically picks up where Halloween, the original, leaves off. So everything that happened after that, forget about it. It didn't happen. This is a complete reversal of everything, which I wasn't expecting. But it works. I get it. I think it's because the franchise has retconned itself so yeah. much yeah. that it was like, there's too much to sort through. Yeah. It just this, needs to... It actually, this it, opens the door for a lot of other films. You know, Joel could get his Star Wars retcon at this point. <laughs> but it, it actually disregarded number two as well. So mm-hmm. it was just a direct sequel to the first one. And I, unfortunately, uh, just similar to the Final Destination series, I've gone back and watched all of the Halloweens. This is all in the space of the last week, isn't it? Yeah, I've had a lot of time on my hands since (laughs) Bourne's gone to Russia, all right. And uh, yeah, in the second film, I think, is where they started toying with the idea that Michael Myers might be inhuman and, you know, he might be otherworldly because there's a bit in it where he gets shot in the chest about three times and then it goes into a room, um, like a, a sealed room with Dr. Loomis who shoots him in the face twice and then blows them up. So I was thinking, yeah, maybe 
maybe they probably did the right call and disregarded that film as well. As someone who's sort of watched a few of the films but not really bothered about the franchise, I quite like the fact that it was like, right, that's all gone. (laughs) Just the first one, you know, I could go with it. Also, one thing I really liked about the new Halloween was, um, I liked what... I like Jamie Lee Curtis in it, but I also like the way she looked. Like she looked like an, an elderly woman, but mm. not like with the beauty. You know, in sometimes yeah. a lot of actresses now when they go into the and I don't understand why, but they've they've obviously had a lot of plastic surgery and they, they don't look natural. Whereas I actually thought it was great to see someone just look as they are. Yeah. And Jamie Lee Curtis looks great and looks her age. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it, exactly uh, because yeah, I, really I mean like if you look at the original Halloween series, you had like Donald Pleasant. So if you reverse the roles yeah. And you had Donald, Pe- you know, he wasn't like Botoxed up. He didn't, no. you know, have uh, hair plugs or anything. He would just look like a normal guy. But that's the thing with Hollywood. So it gets to a certain age, especially for women. You kind of have to if you it, want the role. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad. But um, yeah, it did have a very realistic feel to it, I do think. And so, so what was your favorite bit in it? I really like the, well, without doing a spoiler, there's just a bit where you, obviously, you know, Michael at one point is going to be walking around stalking people, but you actually go from his point of view at a certain point and you just follow him around as he's almost choosing what he's doing next. Yeah, just behind, yeah, just behind his head as he's walking around. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I I really like that as well. It was a bit of a return to the first one because... Uh, one of the very first scenes is him as a child stalking and it's the camera's perspective is from him so yes. you know so that, that was a bit of an homage to that i think uh, so so yeah I, thinking about the halloween franchise i have unfortunately gone back and watched all of them <laughs> uh, I, I did um subject dave and brucey to some of the halloween films as well so i thought we could just talk about our favorite moments in halloween films mike have you seen any of the halloween films I've seen absolutely none of them. No, I've seen a bit of six tonight. All oh, right, okay, there we go. Yeah, you've seen a bit of six. What's your favourite part of six? <laughs> the, the ending. No one has a favourite bit of six. <laughs> Austin, I probably I imagine you're in the same boat. I'm in exactly the same boat. In fact, I've seen slightly less of six <laughs> than, uh, than Mike has. But uh, my favourite bit was probably where he got shot in the chest with that um, flare gun. Yeah. Good, good yeah. one. Good, good, good pick it was there. A bit very uh, poignant, Alex. Uh, I think it's the start of Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> Can you give us a little clip. bit of an insight well, what when happens? They, when they explain, because at the end of Halloween H2O, the film directly before, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis beheads Michael Myers. Okay. You know, So yeah, it's yeah. pretty much that is him. Pretty much done. Do you know yeah. what I, mean? I know he maybe he's quite strong, but he doesn't have a head anymore. You know, <laughs> So he's probably dead. And uh, you're like, oh, Halloween Resurrection. Well, how are they going to bring him back? Is it going to be someone else's Michael Myers? What's he going to do? They just do the worst... Like they were the worst explanation with this flashback, with this expositionally dialogue between these two nurses that says it wasn't actually Michael that got his head head cut off. He'd switch places with this paramedic for no fucking reason. (laughs) Then at no point did the paramedic for like 10 minutes say, hang on a minute, maybe they think I'm Michael Myers. (laughs) Maybe I should say, or like, you know, they say something about his larynx is crushed. So he can't shout out and say, don't hit me with the car, please. And don't, you know, don't behead me. But you probably think he could use his arms a little bit or do you know what I mean? Mime, not me, you know, but, (laughs) that's one strong paramedic because (laughs) he gets yeah because what happens he he gets thrown from the 
uh, ambulance yeah. in the first place. Yeah. And then the ambulance... Hit by the ambulance. Yeah, yeah, he gets hit by Twice. the ambulance. <laughs> and then the ambulance falls down the hill and crushes him against the tree. And he's still alive. The and American this is just a regular... Emergency services, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine what he could have been if he hadn't been crushed by a car. <laughs> Dave, what was your favourite bit in the Halloween series? Uh, probably Donald Pleasance blowing himself and Michael up. Donald Pleasance did not get to blow enough shit up in his career. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see. <laughs> My favourite bit was the end of four and the beginning of five. So the end of four happens when Michael Myers is in a field and a bunch of the townsfolk, this is what I quite liked about four, it's just like a, a loads of just normal people coming together to fight off the evil because they're like, oh, we've heard Michael Myers has come back and he killed, you know, dozens of people years ago. We don't want that happening again. So they all like kind of gang up on him. They're in a field and they shoot him about a million times and they throw dynamite in him and everything and that's it it's it's over and then five begins with if you thought that was bad <laughs> five begins with him kind of crawling through a hole just before the dynamite goes off falling into a stream and getting swept by the stream all the way down river oh and then some like sort of um i don't know cabin man it's just it's just a, a wild man who lives in a cabin in the woods rescues him nurses him back to health and a year later, right? So Michael Myers has been essentially in a coma for a year. Riddled with bullets. Yeah. yeah. This guy's <laughs> been looking after him as well. He wakes up after a year and kills the guy and then fucks off. Uh. But it's it just it like, it's nonsensical. Why couldn't it have been the next day or what? You know, no, no. Like, just, you, oh, you tell that to Frankenstein where they blatantly ripped that plot point from. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So before we move on, I think, Alex, it's time for a little bit of film feel. Oh, much prefer these. Much prefer these Halloween horror sound effects for normal. It'll be Christmas soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's Pet Cemetery. Favorite or scariest animal in a horror film? Has Ooh. anyone got one? Oh, scary yeah. animal. Scary animal. Or just favorite film from favorite animal from a horror film? Yeah, yeah. So what about what about Jaws? Jaws is a very good one. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say Jaws. I was thinking Jaws. Yeah. 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 We should, well, should have beat me to the punch, to Should've. be honest. Yeah. Cujo? Cujo? I was thinking yeah. Cujo as well. Yeah. Another Stephen King one, to be honest. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, what about Jurassic World? <laughs> <laughs> or Iraq, uh, the oh, snakes in arachnophobia. No, about, sorry. About the snakes, snakes in arachnophobia. <laughs> <laughs> the, the spiders. The spiders are even better. Yeah, <laughs> spiders in arachnophobia. I think you're thinking about Lake Placid. Oh, yeah. or, snake, or snakes on a plane oh yeah that anaconda we're all getting our fucking t- <laughs> <laughs> reptiles confused here are we Mike any any in particular standouts oh, um, you know the most of the horror films I've seen have been sort of the low budget ones around yours Gav so maybe that shocked plus thing <laughs> Yeah, any of the. Any what of the about sh- uh, what about some of the poultry from? Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't shittiness. get that far. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I made everybody watch the film Poultry Geist, which is a trauma film, which is obviously a bit of a joke on Poltergeist. And I think it starts off with about twelve of us watching it, and by the end there was only three left. Yeah, we all checked out at different stages. Everybody left at different stages. Our, our, our friend Steve uh, left with about ten minutes before to go. Like, it's 10 minutes left and he stood up and he shouted at me and he was like I can't believe you made me watch this absolute shite I hate you I hate you oh god I've just had a horrible time and he stormed off and he slammed the door and I was like bloody hell and then anyway about like 20 seconds later he come back in and he was like well there's only 10 minutes left you may as well watch it <laughs> uh, anyway yeah so uh, thank you very much for that Alex nice film feel once again you're welcome <laughs> Oh, 
like that? My wolf. <laughs> okay, uh, so before we go on, just to say that this episode is going to be very spoilerific. So if you haven't seen Pet Cemetery yet and you don't want any spoilers, pause this, go and watch it, come back jobs are good or you can fast forward to our quiz this week brought to us by the lovely captain dave which we'll try and highlight at the start time maybe in the comments below austin i'll do my best yeah. he'll do his best yeah. which means he won't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching this it's not there <laughs> okay so on to Watch, the watching this i don't, I don't know what's wrong with <laughs> yeah. we're preempting eventually we're going to do videos as well. uh, okay yeah, but you know that might be like sometime in 2019 <laughs> <laughs> so as i mentioned before this is halloween horror month Play the bats again. Sounds like a oh, nice yeah, the bat. swarm of birds. Like, you know, uh, birds. Oh, swarm. birds. There we go. Birds from the film oh, Birds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so this is Halloween Horror Month. Usually we would pick a film out of the hat at random, but this time I have picked one of my favourite and most underrated horror films. So I will be acting as defence. The rest of the roles, however, have been randomised. So in the role of prosecution is Alex, and he will be trying his best to place the film on the shit list. Just like a real court advocate, Alex is making his best case for the role. This may or may not be his real opinion, though, so do stay tuned until the end to hear his real thoughts. Alex, stop laughing. <laughs> in the role of character witness this week is the only other person in the room who has watched the film. It's Captain Dave, and he's going to be lending his genuine opinion to each argument to try and add a little bit of extra weight. So Austin was going to be in the most important role this week and playing the judge deciding whether the film should be placed on either the hit or shit list based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion however because joel is off mike is stepping in and we're doing another jury special so austin and mike are going to work together and they're going to decide between the two of them which list this film should be placed on so before we get started i think we should probably give the listeners a better understanding as to what this film is about and spin the wheel of impressions okay so it's landed on captain dave Uh, so i I know what i want (laughs) (laughs) here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film this week uh who are we going to go for fred gwynn his main main accent please it kind of has to be done there's nothing else very distinctive you you, you do it well uh, I, not not that well. <laughs> People are about to find out. So, okay, Fred Gwynn. So we're talking someti- sometimes dead is better. Okay. There you go. After tragedy strikes, a grieving father discovers an ancient burial ground behind his home with the power to raise the dead. Nice. Sometimes what you put in the ground ain't necessarily what you take out. Oh, Dave. <laughs> wow. Well done. Well done. Well done, Dave. With a flourish from a character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so without further hesitation, let's pass it over to Austin, who's going to be, I don't know, the lead juror to kick things off, please. Yeah, okay. Well, as ever, I'd like a nice, clean fight, um, gentlemen. Um, and I think it would be ideal if we started with the defense. You've chosen the film, and I'd like to hear why. Let's go for it. Okay, uh, so Pet Cemetery for me is one of the most underrated 80s horror films and one of the best Stephen King adaptations of all time. It expertly plays on the viewer's fears of loss with a very atmospheric portrayal of the grief of a family desperately trying to cope with the death of their child. The film commences with the Creed family, Lewis, Rachel and their children Ellie and Gage moving to a sleepy main town that is unfortunately placed between an eerie cemetery and a through road for truck drivers passing through the town. Following the death of their beloved cat due to a speeding truck, the Creed's wise old neighbour, 
aptly performed by Dave there, <laughs> uh, informs the dad that the cemetery is built on an ancient Indian burial ground and that if he was to bury the cat, it would come back. Although it is accompanied by the warning that what goes in isn't necessarily the same as what comes out, Lewis can't help repeating the task when Gage, their infant child, is mowed down by a speeding truck. The boy returns as a demonic entity and murders Judd, the neighbour, and his own mother. Lewis then has to kill his own son before deciding to repeat the task one last time, this time with his wife. So I think that Stephen King is often criticised a little harshly for his screen adaptations of his own novels. Here I think he actually takes the slow build of tension and frantic finale flourish from his novel and he uh, perfectly brings it to the screen. Uh, the the plot is unique and it's very engaging as well and the dialogue although at times can be a little clunky is more often than not very well written the large majority of judd's dialogue specifically stands out as it's very foreboding insightful and quite emotional at times as well now mary lambert's direction here should be highly commended she excellently captures the tone of king's novel and perfectly creates an unnerving atmosphere throughout the film with the threat of death never being too far away there are measured establishing scenes that are suddenly punctuated with sharp shocks and this restraint is shown throughout the film and it makes the sudden frenzied finale even more shocking to be honest. Judge uh, or, or Jory, can I ask that you say something to Alex about that bemused face that he's just constantly... I'm having. sorry, in a courtroom, I think we're allowed to look at who he wants. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think in real courtrooms you just get yeah. the prosecution looking over like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say the prosecution, let's not... Uh, okay, but Judge, can you ask the defence where he would like me to look? <laughs> See, this is why I just look at Ozzy, because he's the only one who like nods along politely. Yeah. With what he's I don't want any Im- intimidation of the uh sorry defense yeah not bad sorry defense (laughs) so the death of jogger victor pascal is also a shocking moment that is suddenly rocks the sleepy main town the makeup used is particularly effective not just during this scene but throughout the film as well special praise has to be given for the makeup used for rachel's nightmarish and deformed sister who appears throughout the film via flashbacks and for the gruesome deaths of both rachel and judd during the film's climax the unsettling atmosphere of the film is enhanced by Elliot Goldenthal's choral score, which balances the innocence of quiet town family life with gothic bursts similar to that of the Omen or Hammer Horror films. The setting is perfect for this film as it emphasizes the king trope of evil places. The burial ground is a constant threat and is shrouded in mystery and cynicism. Equally, the road at the front of the house is the source of so much horror as well, but it's the house itself which represents the slow tonal shift of the film, starting the f- um, starting off um, the film with so much life and potential and finishing it with so much pain and anguish, having witnessed the deaths of all but one Creed family member. One of the reasons I like this film so much is that it's so unexpectedly unflinching. What appears to be a quiet, ghostly tale at the start of the film, there's some truly unexpected punches, including both deaths of the Creed toddler Gage, the first time when he's run over by the truck, and the second time when his own father has to murder him, and the decision to forego a happy ending as well, and have Lewis descend to madness and eventually kill the resurrected Rachel, his wife. It's still shocking to this day, to be honest. And I just like to say that sometimes, though, dead is better. 
Oh, I felt like the uh, flourish was a little shoehorned in, but that was. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to let it stand. <laughs> so let's hear some prosecution. Uh, I just don't agree with the single word that Gav said there. If I'm honest, uh, I think I can understand where Gav might be coming from if you watch this as a child and maybe you've got fond memories of it. But most people didn't watch Pet Cemetery as a child because it's a really it's a horror film. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So most people watched it as an adult. All right, not bad. <laughs> Gav was saying that. This is an underrated film. It's not. It's it's underrated for a reason. It's because pretty much every single choice everyone made in this film was poor. Like every part of this film is poor. It's a very bad film. You know, Gav's saying it's like, oh, he's criticized for doing his screen adaptation, Stephen King, but this is one of his best ones. No, this is the reason why Stephen King is criticized. His choices in a screenplay are just bizarre to be honest the plot is really boring you know gav was just talking there about these evil places you know the pet cemetery the indian burial ground but actually uh, thanks mike i don't want a brownie (laughs) (laughs) but actually we don't see these places i'd say we spent less than a minute actually at the indian burial ground and we see the pet cemetery maybe two or three times. We don't spend any of the time at these evil places. Most of the time is spent in these really, in just these long, boring tracks of nothing, where it's just trying to, oh, the plot is moving on, the plot is progressing. We know from the very word go where this plot is going. We know from the foreshadowing right at the beginning when the kid nearly gets run over. You kind of know the kid's going to get run over. There's an Indian burial ground where the dead come to life. Right, well, someone's going to be buried there and they're going to come back to life. You know, that, and you possibly wouldn't know that, but the story takes so long getting there and there's no shocks. There's no horror to really distract you from it. Um, the, the, it's really, really kind of stupid in certain bits as well. So, for example, like the main character is visited in a dream by Victor Pascal, whose death is just kind of happens. It's not really horrific or anything like that. It just kind of happens. His character isn't well explained at all. I'll come back to characters in, uh, later on. But um, there's a bit where the main character is shown in a dream. Don't go over to the Indian burial ground. Don't go over the pet cemetery. It's terrible there. You know, don't ever do it in a dream. And he wakes up and his feet is covered in soil. So he thinks, oh, it's a real dream. What's going on? Anyway, later on, when his cat is buried, he doesn't make the decision to go and bury it in it. It's just this bizarre bit where he goes over to Fred Gwynn and says, oh, my, my cat's dead. And Fred Gwynn's like, oh, that's shit. Hey, I know. <laughs> let's go and let's come with me. And, and like the guy's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's fine. That's a normal thing to say when my cat's dead. Let's take the cat in a bag and let's go on a little trek. And I'm like, okay, cool. So he goes over, they go to the pet cemetery. He goes, let's go over that thing. And there's no point when the main character goes, oh yeah, over the brambles, the bit where in a dream last night I was told by a dead body not to go over. Like, definitely don't go over that. Do you know what I mean? Don't do it. Let's go over there with the dead cat in a bag on a weird walk. And it, like, there's no point. I wouldn't mind if it was a point when it shoots into his face and he goes, what about the dream I had or anything? He's just like, yeah, let's go. Let's, yeah, let's do it. They go up, they trek for miles and miles and miles for no fucking reason with a dead cat in a bag. Do you know what I mean? At no point saying, this is weird, man. Like, this is just a weird thing we're doing. And they go and bury the cat in a burial ground. And it's only when they finally trek all the way back literally the main character just goes what did we just do <laughs> and fred Gwynn says oh well and, and explains it but it's just like it it that is symptomatic of this entire film there's a real opportunity there to get a bit of tension 
If there's choice there, let's see the pet cemetery. Let's make it spooky as hell. Let's go to the Indian burial ground. Look at how spooky it is. Then we just walk up there and bury the cat. It, there's no reason for it. There's no drama to it. And again, it's just a poor choice. The music, I don't remember. It was totally forgettable. And the house, I, I don't. I think you're thinking about the wrong house because the house, the actual deaths happen in Fred Gwynn's house, not not their house. It's a different house. So I, I just don't really understand where Gav's coming from in this film. I just, it's basically like a, a jumped up TV movie. It's poorly filmed. The actual quality of the film, I don't think, is very good. The direction is shocking. Like it's really, really poor. Like I, I know, I know we're doing a. I know she, you know she's a woman, and that that is great to have a woman directing a film especially a horror film especially in those days but it doesn't mean it's a good film it doesn't mean she's done a good job it, and she hasn't you know it's not a good film she she didn't have much experience i think she'd mainly just been directing madonna videos and that really shows in the film i think the problem with this film is you had stephen king who wanted things to happen that should not have been allowed to happen and you had a fairly inexperienced director who didn't really know what she was doing i mean the death scene of a child is laughable I mean, it's 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 the death of a child, and it's managed to be laughable. Like there's this bit where he just goes no, and like stares at the camera, and then it cuts to these weird snapshots of the family life that just kind of shoot in. Like as a new director, you should not be trying to do innovative things like that because they just fall absolutely flat, and it's bizarre. So, no, um, this film just is poor all the way through. So there we go. That's, uh, <laughs> two very, very contrasting views. Um, so, I mean, almost everything was just totally knocked down. Slow build and tension. The slow build was agreed upon, but um, perfectly brings the, uh, the the novel to the to the screen. And instead, I've got a slow build that continues to be slow and never really goes anywhere. Um, yeah, it's just, everything is just completely contradicted. Um, so I'm going to need a little bit of um, a little bit of help from a character witness here. So let's start with the score. Um, so the score itself, I've got the score is really good. The, the music, the score is is forgettable. But does it set the scene? I I, I imagine it to be um, incidental music throughout. It's a bit spooky. That's what I think. I, I can it save is. you a lot of time here. I don't recall the score. It was. I feel like an actual character witness. I don't recall. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> no, I genuinely. I, I when Alex says forgettable, from my perspective, that is the word. Um, I, I don't recall it. It didn't make much of an impact on me. The score. Okay. Do you have any yeah, questions? Did Michael? it detract though from your viewing? Did it didn't you? do that either. I didn't. It, if you told me there was there wasn't music in it, I wouldn't argue with you. To be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, well, one question I would have is that yeah. um, Gav's kind of put this film forward as being very well measured, well paced. He said it kind of mimicked uh, Stephen King's kind of writing style, where there was a nice slow pacing build up and then a frantic finish, I think is how he described it. Whereas Alex has said it's very disjointed, um, that uh, things happen in a very strange order in terms of the dialogue, you know, uh, at what point the characters have the realizations and that art doesn't essentially mimic life in this film film mm. uh, so where would you come down on that? um in terms of pacing i'd say gav is i'm probably in towards gav on this one the pacing isn't that bad i never felt like it was slow or that it was dragging i feel like they they went pedal to the metal and they got on with it maybe you know kind of the same way you're running through a haunted house you just get your head down and get on with it but it's mm. uh yeah the pacing was okay um when it comes to the plot alex is has got a good point it is quite nonsensical and at times when it's supposed to be dramatic when it's supposed to be poignant it can be quite laughable 
And I don't know if that's down to the performances, the dialogue, or the, the script itself, the plot, I'm not sure. But there are points where it's just like the end where, you know, he's taking his wife off to, to the pet cemetery to, to bury, no, sorry, to the Indian burial ground past the pet cemetery to bury her and do it all over again. And this ghost, Pasco, that has been warning him, don't bury your cat, don't bury, okay, you buried your cat. Okay. <laughs> don't bury your son. For the love of God, don't bury your son. You buried your son. Right. I'll, I'll help you though. I'll still help you. And then just at the end, this ghost on the, on the lawn outside the house, it's like, don't do it, Lewis. It's like, I can do it this time. I'll bring her back. It's just like, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> for God's sake, Lewis. Please. <laughs> like, I feel sorry for this poor ghost that just isn't being listened to. And it was kind of comical the way it was just like, oh, for fuck. <laughs> and okay. uh, I, I, will, I will argue, though, the, the things that they're talking about, it, it's the same argument that we have every week. You know, this plot point didn't make any sense. And why did they do this? And the, the argument to that is, well, you know, if you would have turned around and said, I'm going to listen to that dream, I'm not going to go and bury the cat. We don't have a film. No film you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But a good film hides that underneath a bit of action and good dialogue and good pacing whereas this you're just asking these questions like come on just bury the fucking kid there was I one thing that there's one thing that did get me about the actual plot that i did think was was kind of laughable you know he buries his son in the indian burial ground miles away like you say beyond the pet cemetery and then goes back to the house and goes to bed if I'd buried my son and expected him to resurrect, I'd wait by the graveside <laughs> to make sure he was okay and walk back with him at least, right. you know. You're it was not just, Stephen King. I'm not Stephen King, though, clearly. Really? And, you know, sometimes <laughs> um, I regret not being, sometimes yeah. I'm quite happy I'm not. <laughs> uh, one one uh, other question, and so one before we move off um, this point, is Gav mentioned that the makeup was really effective and um, so things looked good. And we got an almost completely contrasting view that it looked shit. Makeup is fair. I'll yeah. give him makeup is all right. Well, it's not, it's not groundbreaking. Um, I think I'd say uh, Denise Crosby's makeup at the end is very good. Um, and the, and the death all, of Judd. The, 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 the special effects. Where he gets his ankle caught. Yeah, that in fairness is very effects. good. Yeah, the special exactly. effects are okay. Basic. The makeup is all right. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Could I ask one more question? Uh, if we've got time. Quickly. I thought, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I won't get too excited. Joel keeps quiet most of the time. <laughs> you're showing an interest that's not Joel well I thought it was quite interesting was Gav's points now I didn't actually know if, if, if we didn't know it was about the film I wouldn't have known from the points made if he was talking about the book or the film because he didn't really discuss the cinematography of it mm. uh, you know he talked about setting plot character and things like that that always could be aspects of literature yeah. whereas Alex did talk about the cinematography aspects I kind of and he thought it was a bit laughable that there were poorly executed moments etc so where would you come in on that uh, more on Alex's side I would say direction the camera work the cinematography was at times quite amateurish I, I, I can think of one bit in particular which i will agree with you on and that is after the death of gage the first time around there is there is that odd cut scene yeah. where it just shows that is the only bit where I, where I think oh that's amateurish the rest of it i think is is as well directed as previous first time uh, direction um films that we've seen like for example Kenny Ortega in um, the, the Hocus Pocus the actual, it looks and like a, a TV film. movie Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Kenny Ortega it, does such a good job it, it looks like a TV movie well, well, did, but just the quality of the actual well, the thing camera. is is that like it, the, they didn't have a, a significant amount of budget it's, it's, to, to me it reminded me a lot of it you know the, the TV movie it yeah but without Tim Curry <laughs> uh, okay, on Fred Gwynn, man. Uh, Fred fucking Gwynn. Uh, anyway, on that point, prosecution, let's have uh, point number two. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about characters and talk a little bit about the actors who are not playing the characters. Um, like I was saying, there's just poor choices and there's poor choices in the plot. So 
you know, Denise Crosby is the white plays the wife in it, and she has pretty much no character whatsoever. She has like you could say she has a backstory, but she doesn't. She's got this weird sort of sister who's not in very good makeup. I would kind of disagree with Gav there, but it's um, you know. The, the, the sister's backstory is just shoehorned in. Again, it's a little bit like Stephen King was just wants to put it in because it's in his book and he's going to put it in there. But it shouldn't be. It just didn't need to be in there. It just made the film a little longer. And it had it was a completely irrelevant backstory. It had no actual... It wasn't connected to the plot. It wasn't didn't have any impact on the plot. So I would just also say Denise Crosby's performance just isn't that good. She, You know, I think all really is she shows a bit of leg in it and that's about it, to be honest. There's not much more. She's not a very good female character um and like i'd let's just come to the elephant in the room which is just dale midkiff like he plays the main guy in it and he is just one of the worst actors i've ever seen like he is terrible he cannot he doesn't even give expressions for anything he he cannot be scared i'm pretty sure if you put a gun in his mouth he wouldn't be able to act scared like he is just nothing throughout this whole film not that we're recommending that by the way (laughs) every single scene he's in he just is this void that just sucks in the life of everything you've got fred gwynn and it's nice to see you know mr munster in there you know yeah it's he kind of shows up everyone else in fact so does the kid like sometimes the kid it's that terrible thing where the little girl has scenes with the dad and the little girl is out acting the dad off the screen like she's actually got emotions on it Dale Midkiff just has nothing. And, and I think it really pulls the film down. And really, I almost feel a bit bad for him because I think the film just requires quite a lot of, of both Denise Crosby and Dale Midkiff, which they just don't have. They're not good enough actors. You know, it's the loss of a child. It's the spookiness of this pet cemetery. It's, you know, the, the, the drama of choosing whether to bring someone back or letting them die. These aren't easy things to do. And they just weren't up to the task. And it, it's just... You just, I kind of felt sorry for him. I, I kind of didn't like him at first. And I just felt sorry for him because every single scene he's in, he's just appalling in it. I can't remember one memorable turn of phrase he has, one expression he has that seems scared. He just seems kind of tired all of the way through. And he really, really takes this film down. The main thing I want to talk about as well in characters is the lack of a villain in this film. It's really unclear. And this is Stephen King who's adapting his own story here. It's really unclear what the hell is going on. I know you've got the villain is the kid, right? But the kid only appears like in the last 10, 20 minutes of the film. You don't know what's actually controlling the pet cemetery. You don't know what's con- uh, connecting the, uh, controlling the Indian burial uh, ground. It's never made clear. You just don't have any idea. You know it's happening. You know we've got this choice. And they, it's alluded to, Fred Gwynn alludes to the fact that, like, I think I might have killed your son by burying the cat and waking up the, stirring up the, what? Like, stirring up what? Like, what is this actual thing we're meant to be scared of? There's this bizarre bit of CGI when they're walking up, I think when he's walking up with Gage, and he looks over the side of the hill, and I don't know what the hell it was, but something just looms up. It looks kind of like like a mix between a brain and a testicle just kind of like fires up from the lake and just like shoots at him and like goes Bleh! and he goes oh that's weird no idea what it is is that the mo- <laughs> <laughs> like, what? like oh, what was that what was that what was that going on there you know is that the, is that the one that's control is that the thing that's controlling it like what the hell is going on here you know and those questions not being answered it's just it's not that it's being left ambiguous it's just not being answered just because they kind of forgot to, just because this film isn't good enough, you know? So 
the acting is terrible all the way through. The cat's probably one of the best actors in it, I would say. And <laughs> like Fred Gwynn's okay, but he outshines everyone else to the point where you just think no one else can act. And D- just Dale Midkiff, my God, the guy was not right for this role. Okay. Or possibly any role. <laughs> okay. Okay. I feel a little bit of a personal grievance against Dale Midkiff and, um, yeah, yeah. Have to scratch some of those arguments. <laughs> what, what's still evident to you, man? Um, so, yeah, firstly, uh, just to counteract a couple of Alex's points there. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that a film like this needs a villain. I mean, you don't need somebody to root against for an entire film. It's more of a, a tale about like loss and the family trying to come to terms with that loss and the desperate steps that they take to try and counteract it. Like, good like, going. What are you going to say? Just if you've got a mystery, you should explain it. Well, okay, so uh, what about The Shining then? Okay, the villain in that is Jack Torrance, but he doesn't become a villain until like the very last quarter of the film, essentially. And the the kind of... The the, 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 the Overlook Hotel itself. So what is the Overlook Hotel? What's that controlled by? You know, like it's the same sort of question. It's a haunted hotel. And this is a haunted cemetery? It's not. It's, it it's is, a like, weird Indian burial ground. Like, Who knows what? It is, what it is literally. Always, it's always haunted. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it is explain, explained as much as The Shining is. You know what I mean? I think Alex is looking too much into it, looking for think, an antagonist. I don't think you compare Pet Cemetery and. Well, you can because they're two great novels written by Stephen King that have been adapted for the screen. So I think they're very comparable, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but he's, one, he's got a point. There. One, yeah, but one's, one's a masterpiece. Any, right, one's anyway, any, anyway, right. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to say that the film is packed full of stellar performances. You know, like, I'm not going to contradict Alex there. But what I will say is that I do think the characters are incredibly well written. And uh, if you have a character as well written as Lewis Creed, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if Dale Midkiff's playing him or, you know, you could even have Brad Pitt playing him, you know, I don't, <laughs> with Tanky. Uh, I, th- I think I think Lewis's character is incredibly well written. I don't think Dale Midkiff is the best of actors, but I think he does an, a good of enough job. Uh, I, th- I think that the character itself of Lewis... Um, it's, it, it's a, it takes an incredible journey, to be honest. He starts as this cynical character doubting the tales that Judd says. He's kind and he's also a pragmatic man who is calm in the face of horror, as evidenced when he, he treats uh, Victor Pascal after he's um, had his accident. But then after seeing the power that the cemetery possesses, he becomes consumed. And then when he loses Gage, he is so stricken with denial and grief that he convinces himself that it would be a good idea to bury him in the cemetery. Once he finds out that Gage has murdered Rachel and Judd, he is forced to confront his own son and he suffers a complete breakdown when he has to kill him. The definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And this is symbolized at the end of the film when Lewis, racked with grief, decides to bury Rachel in the exact same cemetery, expecting a different outcome. Uh, Rachel, I, I would argue here, I think she's very well written, written as well. Uh, at the beginning, she's very logical with her handling of death and her children's understanding of it. She wants her children to understand exactly what death is. Um, she is more open to talking to the children about it rather than the shortcuts that Lewis is willing to take. He wants to go and buy a new cat. He wants to pretend that the cat hasn't died because it might upset the daughter. So similar to other Stephen King tales, Rachel is seemingly gifted with a sixth sense or sight and is warned of the impending doom by a ghostly victor. But what I thought was good is, is your mention about Rachel's sister. You said it doesn't go anywhere. You know, like what, what's it? But it's not, they are like flashbacks. They were seeing, um, Rachel has experienced in her life and I think they do go somewhere because what it is is for years, Rachel was plagued by the nightmare of her sister. So her sister is 
this sort of um she's she's stricken with an ailment she's very deformed and her family didn't understand it and they locked her in the basement and rachel would have to go and feed her sister and she was plagued by nightmares thinking that her sister was this deformed hideous creature and she didn't treat her like a human being and i think she was plagued by that throughout her entire life that when it comes to the end when she's confronted by her own demonic son who obviously isn't the same child that she that since you know before he died she can't look past that she she looks she treats it almost like she did her sister she said i'm not going to look at him like a monster i'm going to look at him like my own son and that's what leads to her death she goes to embrace him and he kills her and speaking of which i think the kid that played gage was absolutely fantastic you said so yourself he simultaneously played innocent and frightening with such deft that it puts adult actors like sean connery to shame <laughs> when, he, when he returned cheap, cheap <laughs> when he returned from the dead lambert took a leaf out of hitchcock or spielberg's book and didn't reveal the kids right away he was hidden in the shadows a lot and you heard him giggling throughout the house the idea of pitching up to a house in darkness and hearing a menacing chuckle from a child is absolutely terrifying and i do think that Lambert plays this very, very well. She uses shadows, she uses the house very, very effectively. And the violence of the acts when he commits them are truly shocking for the time, and I think they still resonate to this day. Additionally, his second death scene is so unexpected. I didn't expect to see, you know, a, a three-year-old being murdered by his own father. And the force that that kid has when he throws himself against the wall, I was like, Fuck, Jesus, you know, like he proper smacks his head. He throws everything into that performance. Uh, and I don't think this review of the film would be complete without talking about the fantastic fred Gwynn who plays george i think his performance alex you know come on man behave yourself you said he was good yeah no but you said he was good you didn't say how brilliant he was it's such a layered performance <laughs> he's, he's not brilliant it's it not is, a layered performance honestly there's no wonder there's no wonder that his performance is remembered so fondly in horror folklore the only performance here. and it's been imitated or repeated so many times the emotion conveyed by him throughout is absolutely outstanding from the anguish once his wife commits suicide to the terror he shows when confronted by gauge before he's murdered or to the ominous atmosphere he creates when he recounts the last person who was buried in the cemetery which once again is expertly presented in shadowy snippets by mary lambert throughout the film his performance was absolutely legendary and it adds an additional touch of class to this already impressive film when it comes to secondary characters in horror novel adaptations Gwyn's performance is king no. Oh. Uh, oh, I mean, it's a good oh, flourish. Wow. Jesus. What a flourish. Oh, got... oh, just do us a favor, Alex. Just... Fred Gwynn is not that good in this film. He is fucking got... outstanding. He is not outstanding. You've got to tone down. He's not legendary in it. He's all right. He is, like, that character is so fondly remembered. It's often imitated and repeated. Yeah, parodied. Well, no, it is. No, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying well, that's yeah, a bad thing. But yeah, no, I'd say he was, he was, he was, he was good. Wow. <laughs> do you want to fire away with a question mike feel free um, you got anything you want to hear yeah more i thought uh, what, that an interesting argument that came up there was the idea of this kind of abstract horror you know this kind of um dark presence in the background it seems to be running it and i think it's a really hard balance to get isn't it in any kind of media where you're, you're balancing between keeping things obscure and menacing and the idea that uh, what you don't know is possibly more frightening than what's revealed you know think of jaws when you see the shark and things like that however at the same time as alex was saying it can be very um irritating in the sense that it feels that it's just full of plot holes that uh, nothing's been brought together properly that the film is unfinished and how would you come down on that dave um i wouldn't say it felt unfinished i know what alex is getting at there but i've got to say i think it, 
I'm with Gav when you say you don't need a villain. You don't need like a corporeal entity to be the villain of the piece. And I didn't need it to be explained really. Maybe it's because I've read the book. Mm. And so I felt I'd already had more gaps filled in than, than the film needed to. Um, I, I'm quite happy having, you know, playing a bit of a guessing game. I wish the film had done that more. Allowed the audience to kind of work bits out for themselves instead of just like giving it to them two inches away from the face. It's like, there you go. That, that's what's happening. It's like, I know, I know I can work it out. I wish there'd been a bit more of that where it lets you make your own conclusions as it were so i didn't think it was too bad i did chuckle when uh, when gav was saying about how you uh it's, it, it was really well done where you don't see the child for quite a while you just hear him laughing in the distance is how terrifying it is it's like yeah most terrifying sound on earth a child's laughter it is man it is future parent material <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, honestly if i came home and the house was in darkness and i just heard the child's laughter I'd be well like, you don't have a child that I'd be like, fuck that. (laughs) Austin? I've got two questions. Okay. All right. There's the obvious Dale McKiff and his acting. Mm -hmm. Did that detract from the story or was it good enough? Dale McGiff is god-awful in this film. Absolutely god-awful. He, yeah, his performance is incredibly poor. Um, he, he he really seems to struggle conveying emotion of any kind. And as such, it, it means you don't like the character so much. You don't connect with him on a level that you need to for this kind of protagonist. Do you think you actually need to? It sounds to me as though maybe he's the bad guy. He stops listening it's, to Well, stuff yeah, no, he... you could. You could you could see it that way. Yeah, he doesn't take the warning of that poor blooming ghost. But three, times, so, yeah. three times. Three times. <laughs> um, but um, no, you, you do need to get on his side in this one. The film revolves yeah. around him. It's his story, essentially. And he does make a lot of like questionable decisions. You need to like him. You need to be on his side to make your peace with those decisions. Otherwise, that's when you get into the territory of, that was stupid, I'd never do that. Why is he doing it? And the reason you're asking yourself those questions is because the performance is unbelievable. You can't immerse yourself in it. Okay, okay. And lastly, is mm-hmm. it scary? Um, it, if, when you're watching it as a child, as, as Gav seems to have done, yeah, it would, it would be. There's some bits that are quite creepy and quite scary. Overall, though, I'd say it's not, but that might be more because it was made in 1989. And it's dated more yeah, okay. more than it wasn't. It was badly made. I'd say it's not necessarily scary because of the time it was made in. On it's, a scale of um, Aussie to uh, Gav, <laughs> <laughs> that is a big spectrum. Yeah. Um, uh, Aussie might have a hard time with this film. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask one more? Uh, yeah, go on. Cool. Thanks. Um, I thought there was an interesting kind of conflict emerging between the two of you. It was almost script versus execution. Mm. So uh, Gavin's saying, you know, the plot, the characters are well written, you know, the pacing was good. Alex was basically saying that it's poorly acted, that a lot of actors feel quite cardboard and almost saying that the one good performance is a standout because of that. Mm. Where would you come down on like that? Do you think it's a good plot that could have been executed better? It's a good story. I've read the book, Pet Cemetery. It's a good book. It really is worth a read. And it's disappointing to know that Stephen King adapted his own work for this. This He did the screenplay. Um, he could have done better. I think he missed the key points of his own book in, in many ways. I mean, who am I to say what, that he missed the no, key I, points I, of his I own agree. book? But oh, as a reader... Right, okay, good. <laughs> Alex agrees, so it must be true. As, as a, re- a reader of the book and a fan of the book, I do think this film was lacking somewhat. So I'm amazed that Stephen King got it so wrong. Or did he, or did it get, go wrong further down the line? Yeah. The performances are not great. Fred Gwynn is brilliant, by the way. Can I just say, he's great in this. I love Fre- Fred Gwynn in this. He... If his role were bigger, you could say he carried the film. As it is, his role's not big enough to do so. 
But um, the rest of the performances, Dale Midkift and East Crosby are very poor. I, I think what it is, is because you've read the book and you know the potential that the story has, that you're always going to be a bit annoyed if it's not executed to its full potential. But does that mean it's a bad film? Yes. No, no, not necessarily. No, 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 not necessarily. No, it, no, not necessarily. But but I, this I, I, is I, an example. No, but of I'm it thinking. I'm thinking about it. So the original it, right? Which we went back and rewatched, and we all agreed that it was decent. I didn't. Right? Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> everybody apart from Alex? Wasn't executed as well as it could have been. But did it mean that it was a bad film? No, not necessarily. Yes. No, like, the, but this is a poor. This that it had Tim Curry. Now, t- like, it is saved. And this by has Tim got Curry. Fred okay. Gwynn. It's not the same. Fred Grimm was great. Gonna, it's not as good as Tim Curry. <laughs> I, I, I think I've heard the arguments when we did it, and I've heard the argument earlier on. We're gonna we're gonna wrap that up here. I think me and Mike have got a lot to um, to sign language towards each other. But in the meantime, can we have something to uh, keep people busy while we do our bit of a? Is that a closing argument first? Or? Oh, well. Very, 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 quick, very quickly, uh, I've heard a lot from these guys. Go on, let's have a closing argument. Should we do defense first? Okay. Right, um, a forgotten gem of a horror film which has it all a fantastic script adapted by arguably the best horror writer of all time and directed with class from Mary Lambert an atmospheric ghost story which turns into a monster movie with a shocking ending it was original at the time and I still think it's quite innovative to this day the direction and pacing of this film are expertly done which great, uh, greatly highlights the more shocking revelations the plot and the characters are so well written and complement the pacing of the film greatly. We get a real understanding and relationship with them. So when it comes to their deaths, we are actually affected. For example, the horror of knowing the gauge is about to be mowed down by a truck and we are powerless to do anything about it. Pet Cemetery is not just for Christmas, it's for life and technically death. And it deserves to be on the hit list. <laughs> 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 Stop the clock. Okay, let me have a prosecution. Okay, poor performances throughout. Terrible camera work, terrible direction, unforgettable score. I'm glad there's a remake coming because they actually need to make this film well. It's a good story. It's a Stephen King story, so there's a good basis there. Everything Gav said was good about it is in the book. And Stephen King's a great novelist, but he's not a great screenplay writer. And this is where the film came down completely it's got a main character who is unrelatable and you don't care what happens to him that sinks the entire film for me even if all the performances weren't terrible as well if you watch this film when you're a kid maybe when gav did maybe it would seem like a little boundy puppy that was going around and you'd be really loving it and something but in the cold light of day now what we're looking at is a mangy dog who stinks of piss and just needs to be taken around the back of a woodshed and shot <laughs> and burned Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'd just like to point out that um, Alex has actually written puppy down and, <laughs> and it. He was going for the puppy metaphor. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. it's just a bad film. We've, we've had some flourishes in poor taste on this podcast. <laughs> Do you think that's a bad one? Yes. I mean, that was a particularly bad flourish. But, the venom uh, behind but, stinks yeah. of piss. <laughs> <laughs> But I appreciate the... Uh, the emotion. The, yeah, definitely. The, the absolute conviction you delivered it with. So, <laughs> Thank um, you. I was staring you full in the <laughs> yeah. eyes. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of um, passing of notes. Can we have a quiz in the meantime? Is that right? Yep, certainly can. Um, this quiz I've decided to do is on Stephen King adaptations. Um, and I've called it Needful Things Needing Improvement. Because this is about uh, his adaptations. Does he like them or not? That's all I want you to tell me. So I'm going to give you the name of a film which is based on one of his novels. It's been adapted. You've just got to tell me, does Stephen King approve of it or not? 
So, first up, we've got It, the 1990 miniseries. Gav, what do you think? Stephen King a fan? Yeah. I think he's a fan. Mike, what do you think? Uh, yes, I say yes. Uh, Mike did not hear the question. <laughs> he was not paying attention. I was, I was conversing with Ozzy via WhatsApp. I was going to let you off, to be honest. No, no, no. But then again, Joel would be equally disinterested. So. <laughs> Alex, I, what do you I think? I would say he does like it. Uh, you were all right. He does like it. He said it was a really ambitious adaptation of a really long book. Um, just out of interest, this one doesn't count for any points. What do you think he thought of the 2017 version? Ooh. I think he liked it as well. I think he did like it. I, I want him but to not like as, it. But not as much as the <laughs> 1990. Mike? I mean, I missed the first question. This is a <laughs> I'm guessing yeah, what's the point? Stephen King. Does there's he no, like there's the no film? points on it anyway. Yeah, does he like his adaptations, basically? Let's say yes. Uh, yes, he did like that one. There's no points to that one, but yeah, he actually preferred it to the miniseries. Oh. He said, I, I had hopes, but I was not prepared for how good it really was. Oh, wow. There wow. you go. Okay, so next up, Graveyard Shift. I'm going to say yes, because I think he, he made a cameo in it. <laughs> I'm going to say yes for pretty much the same reason. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say he didn't like it. I will come down on yes. Ozzy, you get a point. He hated Graveyard oh, wow. Shift. He said, when asked about his adaptations, he said, there's a number of pictures I just feel like a bit yuck. There's one, Graveyard Shift, that was made in the 80s. It was just a quick exploitation picture. Wow. He hated Graveyard Shift. I had that on video. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I'm Next you up. Got on video <laughs> <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Running Man. What did Stephen King think? Mm, didn't like it. It's quite different from his story, so I think, yeah. I think he doesn't like it. Mike? I'm going to say he did like it. He liked the fresh approach. <laughs> and Ozzy? I'm going to say no, he hated it. You'd be right to say he hated it. He was not a fan. He did not approve of Schwarzenegger's casting. He said he didn't see his hero becoming a pumped up superhero. He said it didn't work. I hope you've left enough room for my fist because I'm going to grab it down your throat and break your goddamn spine. Yeah, he wasn't a fan of that. (laughs) Next up, Shawshank Redemption. What did he think? Yeah. I mean, you can't not like Shawshank Redemption, right? I think all the best lines in that film, though, are from a short story. So I think he would have liked it because they kept quite a lot. And Ozzy, what do you think? I think he hated it. Sorry, Ozzy, you should have gone with majority. <laughs> he loved Shawshank Redemption. Um, he says, I always enjoy working with Frank Darabont. He therefore also approves of The Green Mile and The Mist, for the record. Yeah, I was going to say, Frank Darabont's adapted most of his work, to be honest. So. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, they get on very well, apparently. Uh, Dreamcatcher. Did he like the film adaptation starring Morgan Freeman and Timothy Oliphant, or did he hate it? I reckon, yeah. You reckon he liked it? Mm-hmm. I reckon no, because he hates the book. <laughs> I'm going to say he hated it. Well. Yeah, I'll go hate. He hated it. You're absolutely right. It was the book that did it for him. He said it described it as a train wreck of a film, and he but he does acknowledge his own fault, saying the novel is not his best work, as he was off his face on painkillers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was he was after his car accident, and he said it was not his best work. He yeah. doesn't really remember writing it, much of it. It's all right. <laughs> Stand by me. What are his thoughts on that? Defo. He loves that. Loves it. Hates it. Mike loves it. You'd be right to say he loved it. He really did. <laughs> he says it's his favorite adaptation of all of his books. Uh, when the movie was over, I hugged Rob Reiner because I was so moved to tears because this uh, story was so autobiographical to me. Yeah, big fan of Rob Reiner as well. They got on very well. Next up, Dolores Claiborne. Hated it? Yeah, didn't like it. I think he... I think he liked that. But barely. Mike's busy messaging me something I can see yeah. he's typing Mike what do you think Dolores Claiborne did you like it or not 
I don't know who or what that is, but I'm going to say he likes it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be right to say he liked it. Ozzy might get points. Uh, yeah, he describes it as one of the better movie adaptations. He's a big fan of that one. Uh, Lawnmower Man. Oh, I probably hated that. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, yeah, I hated it. Yeah, I think he hated it as well. I can't imagine just, he'd be into that. Yeah, hate. You're all right. He absolutely despised it. He uh, actually sued New Line Cinema to get them to remove his name from it. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, not a fan. Uh, Needful Things. Loved it. Got starring him. Max von Sydow <laughs> Obviously. and Ed Harris. And Ed Harris. <laughs> oh, yeah, got to love loved that. It. Who doesn't like that? I'm going to say, I'm going to say loved it as well. He hated it. Really? Absolutely hated it. He said, although it was well received, he's called the film a major disappointment to him. Oh, man. Yeah, not I a went fan. with it because the title of it is Stephen King's Needful Things, which I think is one of the best rhyme <laughs> titles of all time. He didn't yeah. suit to have his name removed, so that's something. Yeah. But he's not, So he liked it slightly I, more. I, I think it's a yeah. really good film as well. Yeah, I really but, enjoy it. But he's not a fan. Sorry, not a fan. I, I think know, Max I would say he hated Harris, it. Nobody asked my good. opinion on that one. <laughs> yeah, we're giving it And finally, Maximum Overdrive, starring Emilio Estevez and directed by Stephen King himself. Mm, hate loved it I, if he's yeah he's gonna say he loved it he yeah loved it what and put himself in it alex gets a point he absolutely hated it <laughs> <laughs> hey, he said he loved it in which case no you don't get a point <laughs> i said he hated it yeah everyone else said he hated it you said he loved it no he absolutely despised it he said it is the worst adaptation of any of his works and he only has himself to blame it's <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing i've ever seen yeah, I, it. I was thinking it when i was directing it i was looking through the camera like this is shit if I can finish, Gav. <laughs> he hasn't directed anything afterwards. He says he doesn't really recall production as he was coked out of his mind. Do you know, do you know on that point, he was once asked, he was like, where did you get the idea of uh, Annie Wilkes from, you know, for, from Misery? Like, where did you get the idea of that character from? And he went, Annie is coke. <laughs> well, that is an interesting it. way of thinking about film. And um, with that, Mike and Ozzy have joint won the quiz. Well done, guys. <laughs> nice work. Nice work, mate. I put not the only, least effort in. Not only have we won the quiz, but we've also managed to have a full-blown WhatsApp conversation to deliberate um, where we think this is going to go. And um, it was pretty close, to be perfectly honest. I mean, um, both Mike and I felt that, that Gav had some incredibly good points here. You know, he's talking about um, an excellent opportunity for a female director who does a really good job throughout. Um, we felt that the score, um, while it may have been forgettable, seems to have not been detracting from the film, which is also a good sign from a director. Um, plenty of bits from the book um, shoehorned into the film just to help elaborate stuff, and that was from both of you. <laughs> just reading through some of the notes that we managed to get through here. Um, Alex was very convincing, no, and we, um, you know, we we do believe him for a lot of the time. We felt that, you know. It, Maybe it was a poor adaptation of a very good book. But um, I'm sorry, Alex. I just don't really like you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. No, no, seriously. I think think realistically, um, I think this is going to go onto the shit list. Um, There was genuinely good good points uh, from both sides. And we, um, I don't know how you managed to get through so many uh, messages in this time, but... We um yeah we 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 felt that overall it's going to go it, it, everything Gav talked about sounds like it had a lot of promise but just wasn't very well. Uh, You're right, Gav. I think well, well I th- I think what the issue was here was 
um, make an Aussie the judge. <laughs> <laughs> the wild card, yeah. as we call it. Even, even if a film has changed his life for the better, <laughs> that's no guarantee that's going to end up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, unbelievable. What's that? <laughs> that's the, oh, that was all your notes. Basically, Mike's just gone like loads and loads and loads of notes and Aussie's gone shit list. <laughs> <Mike's> gone, <laughs> Other way around. Or was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So genuine opinion, Alex? It is a very poor film. Like it's it's poor throughout. Just just not a good film. If it was a TV film, it'd been forgotten about. I'm surprised it's still remembered now. I'm looking forward to the adaptation because the the new one coming out because I think it is a solid story. If it was done properly, it'd be a good film. And Jason Clark is a much better yes. actor than Dale McGill. He's an actor. What about Gav? <laughs> Gav, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I'm so annoyed. Uh, no, I, I uh, to be honest, it wasn't as good as I remembered it. <laughs> Uh, but I still enjoyed it. I still did enjoy it, to be honest. But yeah, Dale Midkiff was awful in it. It is really, really poor. Uh, but I, I did. I really, I really enjoyed it. I thought the the ending of it is is still. I think is fantastic. Like props to you for putting it on trial. Like it's a, it's a, it's a good film to put on. It's a proper marmite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That That's and real balls of brass stuff. And sure. if actually, if I'm honest, the kid is pretty scary at the end. Yeah, yeah, like, definitely. That, kid, it's only five ten minutes, but the kid's pretty good. So, yeah. so I want. So, as I said before, I wanted to put a film that was directed by a woman, and I wanted to pick horror as well because I think they don't get a lot of opportunities in horror. And I was originally going to go with American Psycho because mm-hmm. I thought. Well, you know that's very but then i thought nah, that's too too good i think yeah is it Greece. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so I think i'm got this pet cemetery balls there. to the wall balls to the wall with pet cemetery Got sometimes crushed. you live and die by the sword <laughs> don't you but anyway hi i'm oh, sorry I, i'm actually really looking forward to uh watching it to find oh, yeah, yeah. if it's oh, good or not oh, <laughs> anyway ignore alex uh higher or lower than our previous film on trial which was final destination oh, probably lower Around about the same, I would say. I guess there'd be enough fans of it wanting to bump, bump it up. But the no, same. I'd say lower. Well, Final Destination was only like 6.5 or something. 6 point, yeah. No, I'd say lower, like 5.96. Yeah, I'd say lower. It's not as good as Final Destination for sure. Okay, Mike, higher or lower? I've seen neither film, but I'm going to go off the room and say lower. <laughs> okay, well, you all are right. It is lower by 0.1 of a mark. So oh, wow. Final Destination was 6.7 on IMDb and Pet Cemetery is 6.6. So um, before we adjourn the case, basically, it's time for a little caption contest. So what we do here is we take a screenshot of the film and we put it on Twitter for our friends and followers to provide a caption with the funniest one winning a frog-shaped chocolatey treat. And basically, uh, I biffed up last week and I biffed up the week before. Basically, two weeks ago, I forgot to put a caption <laughs> uh, on Twitter. Then last week, I did the wrong film. I did Woman on Trial instead of a Final Destination. Woman on Trial. <laughs> woman on trial. <laughs> well, it feels like a woman has been on trial, to be honest, today. Um, but So I put um, woman, on, woman in Black on instead. So this week, we have got two caption contests. We've got a screenshot from Final Destination. It's the scene just before the plane blow. So basically, you've got uh, Alex. Is he the main character? He's furiously pointing and shouting at somebody while a security guard is pulling him away. And um, basically, you guys have just got to pick the best caption here. So first one is my cat. Oh no, sorry, that's for the wrong film. Uh, next one is um, get him out of here. He keeps saying he's Jeremy Renner. <laughs> Second one is. Uh, that is the last time he'll challenge death to a game of Twister. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is when somebody eats your leftovers. <laughs> uh, next one, 
when the rest of the world found out weed was now legal in all of Canada. <laughs> uh, penultimate one, pull my finger. <laughs> and the last one is, I called shotgun. <laughs> okay, so guys. Uh, I like the Jeremy Renner one. Yeah, I've never realized yeah, that Devin Sauer does look the spit of a young Jeremy Renner. <laughs> yeah, Austin. No, I'll go with Jeremy Renner. You guys? Okay, so congratulations to two guys on Friday podcast. You guys have just won yourselves. Hey, lovely Freddo. Okay, and the second one is the film that we've been reviewing this week, and it is a snippet of the Creed's cat. So when it first comes back to life, it looks a little bit vicious. So it's in the middle of meowing, but with bright, glowing yellow eyes. Ozzy is helpfully showing everybody in the room. So you guys have just got to pick the funniest caption here. So starting off with, that's right, he hissed. Never eat more. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I that wrong. Sorry, I was scrolling. All right. That's right, he hissed. Never ever move to Maine. <laughs> um, number two, when my wife reaches for the, my fries. <laughs> number three, it's time for that hiss to climb an octave. Snip, snip. <laughs> oh. uh, the next one, this week on Vets in Practice, why you should keep your cats away from hand torches and why, <laughs> and why do cats put them in holes they shouldn't? <laughs> oh, that, that went a bit far. <laughs> next one, um, your, face when you finally, <laughs> your face when you finally go looking for that flick or show that's been on your watch list for ages and Netflix has finally removed it. <laughs> um, next one is, it's time for Rufus's physical and he's just turned 40 oh. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, oh when you go down and they haven't showered sorry the next one is when the milk has turned um okay. and okay so we had one on the on the previous one that was um my cat when i shut the door before he decides if he wants to go in or out or in or out <laughs> and then we've got two final ones here um turn around every now and then i get a little bit terrified and then i see the look in your eyes and they turn around bright eyes okay uh, and uh oh, we've got two more actually um oh no this one's just a comment have any of the crew read the book and the previous one, and let's say the last one yes, is, yes, we have. sometimes taxidermy is better. <laughs> <laughs> taxidermy for me. Yeah. I like the Bonnie Tyler one myself. Uh, I'm going to go with taxidermy then. Okay. So well done to our good friend, Craig Harris. You've just oh, won yourself Craig. a Freddo. Uh, so, so the Bonnie Tyler one was actually submitted by our good friends and fellow podcasters, the IMDB Journey podcast. Oh. But I'm glad that they haven't won because I'm still waiting for them to send us uh, their address. So all the Freddos that they've won previously, I haven't actually sent to them because they haven't forwarded on their it's address. It's like they don't care. Yeah, it is almost like, like they're they afraid they're afraid of our freddos they've been like bad mouthing us on twitter saying that their freddos in australia are better than ours right and i think it's a lie i don't think they are i don't think they're up to scratch and they're afraid to sample to the chocolatey goodness and the thing is the uh, fr frustrating thing is i went and bought some special freddos for them not just your bog standard ones i bought some special some good ones yeah so I've sent them we off sent to... Them to biscuits as well. Did you just cover frogs in chocolate? Isn't <laughs> <laughs> just before we call it a day, I just wanted to give a shout out to one of our podcast and friends, the Coming Off The Reels guys. A very, very funny and entertaining show, uh, which covers a multitude of movie reviews, but mainly does recent releases. Uh, just It's a really enjoyable show, to be honest. And uh, make sure you check them out on iTunes. They're also really engaging on Twitter as well. Uh, they do a lot of kind of um, interactions with their followers. 
Um, so give them a follow on Twitter at Off the Reels. And now, unfortunately, guys, unfortunately, this is the last of the Halloween Horror Month series. Finishes off with a bang, Gav. Bring us, bring us home. Mm. A, a monster growl so yeah whatever anyway we will be returning to our usual format next week however um but has this episode has been going on we have pulled the next episode out of the hat at random and it is going to be godfather part three three but godfather part three willy um <laughs> godfather part three uh so we've randomized the roles for that in defense is going to be captain dave in the role of prosecutor is going to be Austin and not in the role of defense. Uh, <laughs> in the roles of character witnesses is going to be myself and Alex. And in the role of judge is going to be Joel um, or Magic Mike at uh, the last minute if you have to step in again. Um, so just to say thank you very much to everybody who's listened to this episode. You can catch all of our previous content and future content on any podcast platform or on our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. Why not check us out on Twitter at Film Trials? Why don't you recommend a film for us to put in the hat and we will eventually get around to putting it on trial. Also, while you're on Twitter, check out our friends and collaborators at Aussie Ray and at the underscore queer that's our music producer austin ray and our graphic designer winston sang also check us out on all the other social medias facebook twitter instagram youtube whatever films on trial it's all good anyway thank you very very much for this halloween horror episode we will be in your ears next week with godfather part three thank you goodbye (laughs) 